I've made some mistakes and I've learned from those mistakes. I learned from other people's mistakes and I'm I've well read in that area. So I bring that to the table and I want to share that with anybody who's willing to listen. Thanks for tuning in to the Purposeful Story Podcast, where purpose drives our actions and our actions are a result of our purpose. When you have a strong enough purpose, every action you take in life has meaning and power to it. Every entrepreneur is on a journey to fulfill their purpose, and the world needs to hear it. So without further ado, let's get right into the show. Welcome to the Purposeful Story Podcast. So I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the Purposeful Story podcast episodes, um, but we did a four-part series with the President Isaac um, Aluafe of Dreammaker Realty, and we interviewed three other amazing entrepreneurs that are part of the Dreammaker team as well. And, you know, I just couldn't stop there because there's just too many people that are part of the team that are doing amazing things and purposeful things at that. Um, So I wanted to reach out to Jason Jason Masika. Um, this dude's a beast, man. Like entrepreneur, real estate investor, um, and an advocate for helping people live the life that they want to live, um, through economic empowerment. And, you know, I, first time I met this guy, he just had a really cool vibe about him. Really like even like, I don't know if you guys have been around real estate investors or anyone who's in real estate, but sometimes they can be a little bit intimidating, right? But Jason, he's just really open-minded and just willing to talk with anyone. Um, Jason, thanks for coming on the show today. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem. So, Jason, where were you Where were you born? I was born uh, here in the city, man, Toronto, Ontario, West End. Uh, the area specifically is called The Junction um, and basically takes up some space just north of Hyde Park uh, from Keele, just past Runnymede, uh, St. Clair down to about um, almost Bloor Street. So in that area. And it's also dubbed uh, Little Malta. So my parents are Maltese and it's a small island in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and uh, the, the settlers that, when they immigrated here, uh, a lot of them when they settled in Toronto, they ended up in that, that neighborhood back in the late 50s and early 60s. Okay. Yes. And I find Malta is a really interesting place. I've never been there, yeah. um, but I've heard of it. I've done my research on it, and it's definitely like on my list of places to travel. Um, it should be on everybody's list. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. I know it's it's one of the I think the tenth smallest countries in the world. It's gotta be get close to that, yeah. And, but at the same time, it's like one of the most packed countries in the world. One of the most densely populated. Uh, cars per capita. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got um, one per, um, from a per capita standpoint in terms of GDP. I think it's like third in Europe. Mm-hmm. So Germany, Luxembourg, and then Malta in terms of how well the economy is doing, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Uh, tremendous amount of history, uh, beach life, food, uh, just a beautiful place to visit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous architecture. Yeah. And what are, what are Maltese people like? Because as I've been doing my research, there's yeah. a lot of interesting people out there in the world that are Maltese. Like, yeah. what's their, what's the, what's the Maltese community like? What's their mentality like? So, uh, how do I, you know, you'd get maybe a Southern Italian and Sicilian mm-hmm. and mix that up with a Middle Eastern. Mm. Um, person from a bloodline perspective that and, and a language mm-hmm. language it's uh it's semitic but it, the they write it's a latin based uh, alphabet mm-hmm. which i think is the only one in the world like that mm. country where the, the the language the spoken word is a semitic uh, but alphabet is latin um made up again italian arabic english in, in terms of language and bloodline is really mixed up because of its location. Uh, it's in the Mediterranean Sea, closest to Sicily, but not far from Tunisia, mm. so North Africa. North, yeah. Um, culture-wise, you'd have a like looking from maybe arm's length, you'd have a hard time differentiating it from 
say Italians, very mm-hmm. animated, passionate. Um, but uh, it's a small island, um, very friendly people, and um, yeah, it's I love it. It's uh, it's a beautiful place. I'm, I'm proud to be Maltese Canadian. Okay. Yeah, yeah, very proud. And how did your parents raise you when you were growing up? Like, what was there? Were they like more the laid back parents let you have your freedom, or were they like pretty strict? Actually, a bit of both. <clears throat> um, parents uh, came here in the in the late fifties. Um, both of my parents did not go to school at all, so no educational background. Language, uh, so English is their second language. But uh, so I learned a lot from them in terms of action, demonstration, mm-hmm. uh, trust, integrity, work, work ethic. Um, I had a lot of freedom, but it wasn't because of choice. It was really because they were working. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father worked uh, blue collar uh, construction, and my mother worked from factory to factory. And so, <clears throat> you know, when they weren't at home, I would just be about doing my thing. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how it was back then, um, in the you know late late seventies to mid eighties, late nineties. Uh, sorry, late eighties. And so, yeah, I, you know, uh, they were strict on a lot of value things. So a lot of um, you know, when when you say something, do it. Um, say the truth. Uh, uh, good hard value around family mm-hmm. um, and God. Mm-hmm. Respect for people. Yeah, those types of things. Okay. I find that common theme with um, a lot of people, um, like a lot of people who are in positions that are purposeful. Um, their upbringing sort of reflects on how they've, you know, grown up into adulthood, right? Because I know for me, um, I have a Ghanaian background, right? And we have like strict values. And But regardless of whatever situation you may be in, um, whether, you know, you're going on to school or entrepreneurship, those values stick with you. Mm-hmm. So, and I think the parents low key, they kind of, they kind of understand yeah, that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I noticed that, you know, what was, so after high school, what was your main focus and what type of person were you after high school? Ah, oh, man, it took me a long time. I guess after high school, I was going in a bunch of different directions. I was really having a hard time finding, you know, my passion uh, from a career standpoint. What was it going to be that would drive, um, you know, all the things that I like to do plus mm-hmm. the things I'm really good at? And all why why do you think that was? Uh, lack, well, some of it was lack of direction. Mm-hmm. I really didn't have a lot of mentors at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot, like I said, my parents were working very hard and, and it was, yes, push to go to school and, and do well in school, but not much more than that because again, they just didn't have that foundation. They didn't have the, the wherewithal, the education to kind of guide me in that way. Um, I had, I had two older brothers and a sister, but they've already been gone. And now there was some guidance around that. You know, uh, so I was thinking police officer, I was thinking architecture, um, and, uh, but couldn't really make up my mind. I was also fairly, um, well-rounded. So if I, if I put my mind to something, I would do fairly well. So that opened up a few doors as well. So I felt open to a lot of different things because I knew if I focused in on it, I would, I'd be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I also went down the route of personal training for a while too. So kinesiology was something I was thinking about, uh, but didn't pursue that. Mm-hmm. Ended up going to college and doing uh, um, computer programming, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Back then, you know, it wasn't what it is now. Uh, so we didn't have the smartphones that we do now. Um, Google didn't come about until I think my second year of college. But there was Yahoo and all that. So, but you knew there was an appreciation that technology, the internet, all things sort of soft in that world, 
in terms around technology, we knew that it was going to take off quite quickly, mm-hmm. especially with the internet. So I knew I wanted to focus in on that. Okay. So I did pursue that in, in college. Okay. And then broke off. Okay. <laughs> so after college, so you got into technology and you finished technology. Did you work in the field at all? That's that's the interesting thing. <laughs> You know, sometimes you, you, you look at a career path and based on what it looks like, it's attractive until you, you know, dive in there. It may not be what you really thought it was. And that's what technology was for me. And I'm not, at least the path I was thinking I would jump into. I'm more of a people person. I was meeting different individuals. I got uh, tied into. So at that point, mm-hmm. Um, I was a certified personal trainer mm-hmm. and working in a fitness studio. Um, and the studio was really focused on personal training. So it was more of a personal training studio than anything. And I became very good friends with the owners. And, and they saw sales as a, um, a good fit for me, consulting and sales in the personal training um, industry. And I took that position on. And they paid for my school. And that kind of drove me. Sales was something that was growing in on on me at the time. And I was doing very well at it. So um, that sort of took me off into another direction. Uh, Soon after, I met somebody um, who owned an Extreme Pita franchise. And uh, sure enough, uh, became uh, friends with that person and uh, decided to purchase a an extreme creative franchise in partnership with uh, another another guy that I met uh, as uh, you know I think he was a client at the gym but mm-hmm. uh, I met him at the gym okay and we became friends and that sort of took me on a path and uh, uh, working in sales and owning an extreme Pita franchise never you know needless to say I would work in a lot of hours. And you owned that for a year, right? I think so. Almost two years. Almost two years? Okay. Um, different sort of ambitions between my partner and I, mm-hmm. which was a great learning experience for me at least. Um, and we couldn't reconcile our differences. So I ended up selling my, my shares mm-hmm. uh, in, in the franchise. Um, yeah. And then just continued my path uh, in sales, but left. Uh, the fitness facility went into the corporate world, started with a multinational company called Canon, which most people are pretty familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you sort of learn uh, the ropes, uh, strategic uh, approach to sales. Um, Canon does a phenomenal job of training their, their employees, especially their sales department mm-hmm. employees, um, in different methods and strategies around sales. Everything from cold calling to, you know, sort of a, a broader uh, uh, sort of a focus around strategic sales. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's different tactics, I, I would call, that you would have to apply at different parts of the sales cycle. Mm-hmm. And then we did a great job of, of training uh, the whole kind of gambit around sales. So, Interesting. Yeah. What's the... A lot of people find find sales to be intimidating like they don't like the idea of trying to get someone to do something to give them money right yeah. like they don't like that idea um what's your strategy if you have any as a real estate investor yeah i think over the years uh you know i've sold different types of products and mm-hmm. services different industries and i think um if you see the real value it has to offer in the marketplace and you can marry that with your potential prospect, I hate to put labels on, mm-hmm. on people and, and organizations, but that, you know, just to keep it simple, if you can really see the value that you're, you're bringing to the table, it makes it that much more easy to, mm-hmm. to, um, sell. You know, you're really trying to connect them to something that's going to help them in the business and, and or, uh, their personal life, you know. So, I think as a salesperson, if you want to be successful, um, this doesn't this doesn't uh, apply to all salespeople, but the ones like myself, um, 
if it's something that you believe in, if you're seeing the value that it brings to the marketplace, then it, it's not very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's why I have you on this podcast, man. That's the title of the yeah. show, Purposeful Story Podcast. So, I mean, essentially what you're saying, if, correct me if I'm wrong, is you just have to have a purpose behind what you're selling and it'll do the job itself, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, uh, yeah, you're not so much pushing anything down somebody's throat, right? Mm-hmm. You see that there's a gap in a process, perhaps, or um, there's a way of doing something better in their business, or, uh, you know, uh, if it was, uh, you know, real estate for the family or for their, or their personal investment um, strategy, if there's a way to help them mm-hmm. and you're offering them something that will bring value, real value to the table, then and yeah, of course, it's purposeful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's purpose-driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was your first experience as a real estate investor? Or even just in real estate in general? What was yeah. your first experience where it was like, okay, this is a real estate experience. Like, what, what would you say that was? I think I've always had an appetite and ambition to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was working the 9 to 5. I was uh, working the corporate life. I was... Uh, you know, successful in that regard, and but wanted more, and I thought there was a ceiling to what I was doing, and um, wanted to expand my personal wealth, and being able to, you know, um, think of ways of how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the entrepreneurial thing, and I uh, bought a business, and that didn't work out, but I was still hungry, mm-hmm. um, and I found real estate. Um, and started reading different books. And one of them that resonated with me, and, and you've probably heard this many times over if you've spoken to any investors, and it was uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Uh, you know, it really opened my eyes in terms of how to see real estate as a tool to create generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at what a real asset is versus, um, you know, owning a home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how to leverage real estate again to create more opportunity in your life, mm-hmm. more discretionary time. And you didn't have to be a rocket scientist. You didn't have to be, you know, you know, you didn't have to have a 4.0 grade average to, to do this. Mm-hmm. So it appealed to me in many different ways, real practical as well, um, and tangible. You know, I, I didn't have to know how to read a stock, uh, the, the stock market. Uh, and there's too many variables out of, out of my control when it came to stock market, which I also sort of dabbled into. Um, real estate was real and you could draw some, some, you know, key, um, markers that are quite, I'm not going to say it, they're not obvious, but, but, um, they're not difficult to pull away from because they're very, real and human. Almost paint a picture for you. Yeah, so real estate um, resonated with me and it took me a while between sort of learning, uh, educating myself, researching, investigating. It took me at least a couple of years of that before I really took action mm. um, for a few reasons. One of them being not having the capital. I just didn't have the money. And then the other just not having the, the, you know, the balls to do it. Mm. Um, you know, because it definitely isn't um, uh, risk free. So, and with that, there's some there's some fear. Mm-hmm. You know, doing anything you've never done before. I think if you're courageous and you don't acknowledge the fear, you're kind of stupid, right? Mm-hmm. You're only courageous if you do acknowledge the fear and know that there is risk involved. Mm-hmm. You do it anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And within that two years, did you have to make any sacrifices at all to sort of get to the point where you like got into real estate or was it more of just literally just stacking and, and doing research? Uh, yeah, no, I had to be diligent with my savings. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't born with, with uh, a silver spoon in my mouth. And, uh, you know, so I had to, to work. Hard and I was doing well in sales at times where, you know, the compensation uh, helped out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really sacrificing, you know, 
the, the bright shiny object, whatever that might may have been at the time, you know, in your in your mid twenties and late twenties, you have a lot of noise and you're not sure about a lot of different things at that age and you think you do but you just don't. Um, and there's a lot of distractions. There's the nightlife, there's women, there's all kinds of different distractions. And for me one of them was um not knowing what path to take. Until I found real estate, which which again it, it really it really um really kind of uh grew on me quite quickly. So I was really focused in on that and I thought, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just be the nine to five guy without something more mm-hmm. that I can look forward to. And so <clears throat> I decided to do it. And, and again the sacrifice was being diligent with my savings with the with the money that I had um, and really staying focused because even other investments would come up right so mm. just different other opportunities travel and so I would keep those to a minimum I, I still wanted to live a, a fairly balanced life and not deprive myself completely uh, but I did make uh, some of those sacrifices for sure yeah. mm-hmm. um, actually I didn't even well I, I, I bought um, you know, I even took my time about buying my own first property to, you know, as, as a conventional purchase where I was living in because I really wanted to save a lot of money. I wasn't sure if I wanted to buy a convention uh, first or not. So that was one thing I put off quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your first property, was it um, an investment property or one that you, you lived in? Uh, the first one ended up being one I lived in. Okay. Um, but then uh, not too far after... Maybe a year and a half, I bought my first investment property. And and you leveraged? Did you leverage the property you were in currently at that time? Um, yes, I did. Okay. But but not so much. Cause I, I see. I didn't own the house on my own. Mm-hmm. So and the other person that I owned the house with wasn't one hundred percent with me on investing in real mm-hmm. estate. Hindsight will tell them a lot more than me, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I was able to save a, quite a bit of money, enough uh, down payment, you know, uh, structure then was different than it is now. And so I came up with a 10% down payment, and home prices were different back then, too. So I was able to muster up uh, down payments, pretty much cash. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you've worked with hundreds of clients, I'm assuming, right by right now. Yes. Um, at this point, I should say. What is your process? So, to, to help someone look for their first property, whether it be investment or, I mean, for me personally, I think any property someone's looking for is an investment, right? Yeah. Whether or not you see yourself as an investor. But what's your, what's your process to take someone through that? If it was an investor or a conventional buyer? Um, give me both scenarios. Okay. Let's hear both scenarios. Um, well, both scenarios is um, understanding the current situation, of course, but what are their goals? What are their aspirations? Um, what's the lifestyle impacts um, to uh, some of the decisions that they want to make and understanding that reality? Um, really important because I think what gets out there, there's a lot of information, of course, out there. On the, on the internet. The reality sometimes is quite different. Um, it's not an easy go. Um, when talking to a, an investor, of course, you want to understand um, what their goals are as an investor and getting them to know that this is more like business ownership than it is investing. When I think of investing, I think of having a certain amount of fund dollars, placing it in an investment vehicle and putting up your fee, you know, and watch your ROI uh, come in. Investing in real estate is not like that. Um, you know, if you're investing in real estate, again, depending on the strategy that you take, there's marketing involved. There's understanding your product, which would be your property. Uh, and your um, customers, your customers may be tenants or other buyers. Uh, your team, 
of experts. Uh, you have to be able to manage them in a way where you leverage their expertise, but make your own decisions because you're you're you got to lead your sort of your own you know ship. Um, and then um, being realistic about those initial steps uh, in terms of what your return will be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and get them geared to a longer play in terms of um, what their ultimate goal might look like and aligning that on a realistic timeline. Uh, uh, it's not, you know, get rich uh, quick scheme. It's uh, a planning for the future where you got to take uh, certain steps that may mean certain sacrifices or it may mean making certain decisions now that will impact uh, you in the future. So understanding what their current situation is, what their goals are, and then applying uh, a realistic timeline to those goals, and then really bridging the gap in terms of knowledge uh, and expectations, mm-hmm. making them as real as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way they know uh, what they're getting into. Uh, they're prepared, at least mentally. And they'll know that um, that things will happen that are outside of the, the plan, but at least you can mitigate those types of challenges by at least knowing that that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to focus on the solution. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that definitely work within in both ends. Obviously, we would dig into details that would um, you know uh, resonate with one path or the other in terms of being an investor or a conventional buyer. But uh, I take those steps for sure. Jason, you, you seem like someone who just avoids all the noise. Like you just avoid all the noise on the outside and just look at sort of what's in front of you and just comes up and you just come up with a solution in terms of what's in front of you. Like you strike me as that type <laughs> of investor. Am I right or wrong about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to, you have to have a good sense of what your big why is in order to work through all the challenges. Any investor will tell you that they'll come. Those challenges will come. Regardless, life will hand you some some curveballs. They'll throw you some curveballs. And um, it's hard to get up in the morning if you don't know what your why is and and move forward anyways, you know. Um, That could be discretionary time. It could be, um, you know, it could be bright, shiny objects. It could be material things, but I think for most people, um, it's this, um, uh, or at least for me, this wanting to contribute to others, uh, wanting to build a certain sort of lifestyle, but um, and then uh, live that lifestyle and share how others can, can attain it as well. You know? So that's, that's kind of what I'm at, uh, where I'm at and what I'm focused on. Interesting stuff. One thing that I've noticed this year about real estate, well, actually, last year, I should say, is that, I mean, it makes sense when you say it, but you don't think about it. But real estate is a global thing, right? Like, we, I've lived in Canada all my life. Um, I'm originally from, like, my parents are from Ghana. Mm-hmm. And I traveled to Ghana in December last year. Um, and that was one of the first times that, like, the opportunity of real estate just blew my mind because, you know, you're in an area where the real estate development isn't where it should be. And you, you actually live in an area where you know where the real estate development is, is going. So, <laughs> I mean, eventually it's only going to happen there, right? By osmosis, like it's only safe to assume. Um, have you had any uh, experiences in terms of real estate outside of Canada? Can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah. Well, we're always sort of in the trees. You know, um, I, I say that to a lot of my clients who are looking to purchase even now uh, and start investing because it's difficult. It's mm-hmm. hard, but it always was that way. Mm-hmm. You know, any given time when I look back, at the time, it was scary. At the time, it was difficult. Um, and there wasn't any surefire method that was going to take you to that next level. So there's always some amount of risk, but you had to go back to the fundamentals. What's really happening? What's underpinning uh, the real estate market? What are those economic markers that you need to look for when making these decisions? And so 
I'll say that now to anybody in Toronto, all you got to do is go to New York, which I've been to. Uh, you know, London, in the UK, I've been to parts of Europe um, at different stages of the sort of real estate evolution. You know, London being, uh, you know, an ancient city compared to Toronto. But New York is a much uh, more mature and developed city. But there's no uh, question in my mind that we're sort of Canada's New York. And um, at the rate we're going, you know, uh, there's just more growth to be had. And we're seeing trends around the world, urbanization, um, you know, we look at our foreign policy and our immigration policy, um, the growth here in Toronto is exponential. Um, and so, uh, you know, when I look at anybody in Toronto, who's sort of questioning whether it's a, it's a good buy or not right now, all you got to do is go to New York. Look what it can be, you know, because that's sort of where we're going. New York's a, a very close big brother uh, in a lot of different ways. And what I mean by that, it's the economic engine of the U.S. We're the economic engine of Canada. Mm. Our banking system, right? All the major banks call Toronto home. Uh, the largest insurance companies in Canada reside in Toronto. The tech scene is second to none in Toronto. We actually have about 12 industries that support our, our regional economics. And we make up, I believe it's 20% of the GDP of Canada. Mm. Um, so we uh, are a roaring fire of economics like New York is in the U.S. We have a diverse population very uh, different perspective, which adds to its attraction to the major international employers out there. And that's why we're seeing a lot of them invest, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in the downtown core to this day. And that's just a few reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just a few. So when people are complaining about the prices and saying they're super high, just wait till you see 10 years down the road. Yeah, I, I don't see that um, stopping anytime soon. There's just no real solution out there. Uh, you know, we have the green belt that's limiting our ability to expand uh, from a construction standpoint. The population growth is tremendous. Uh, and we're not keeping up from an inventory standpoint. So when you have a, a, a lot of demand and not enough supply, that's just one basic economic variable that, that's at play here, mm -hmm. which is making affordability difficult. And that's a real thing. Uh, it's uh, not it's not affordable. Toronto's just not affordable right now. Um, that's clear. Uh, some of the solutions that have been tabled, um, some of them may work, some of them are out to lunch. I think um, one of the things that would work, which is, uh, I think, is high-speed trains, believe it or not. Um, there's about, I think it's about, I think, 2 to 5% of purchasers that would decide to live outside the core of the city if they could. If it meant that they can travel to and from home, uh, in shorter amount of time, uh, and, and not, and, and yet live on a bigger lot of land, live, say, you know, outside the city, uh, but travel in and out comfortably. Mm -hmm. We just don't have that as an option. It's two hours of traffic, you know, uh, our go system is okay, but, but it's failing a lot of people out there. So if you wanted to live, you know, far out where the price points do make a lot of sense, you know, for, you know, family income of say 70 to 100,000, then what doesn't make sense is the travel into Toronto. Mm. And so they're not making that decision. Um, so they're stuck with purchasing in Toronto, which is still driving the price points up, but they're, they're, um, sort of, uh, <clears throat> compromising on, size of the property and even the property type, you know, they're looking into condos now, you know, and that's sort of being accepted as, as a real, um, uh, even, uh, well, real purchase for a young 
professional and a young couple, but even families now, they're, mm-hmm. they're looking at condo life as uh, as a real one, a real decision to make because the options aren't uh, as many um, when it comes to, you know, your typical white picket fence and detached home. And mm-hmm. That's not in the cards for a lot of people anymore because of the price points. Mm-hmm. So It's interesting stuff, man. Like, I feel, and this is my own perspective, but I feel like, um, you know, the government doesn't have a lot, enough investors like in place because I feel like investors think a bit more on a deeper level. I mean, if you don't have anyone, like you're doing economic development, but you don't have a lot of people in place who um, are economically empowered and that's their mindset. So a lot of times it leads to situations like this, right? Where you get prices driving up and people not being able to afford or options being provided to other people, right? Because mm-hmm. that's high-speed train is a great solution. Like it just makes logical sense, right? So, yeah. so yeah, that's one of them. I mean, it's tabled and they, they do have plans of expansion and they're high-speed trains. So the same, I'm talking about the plane, uh, the trains that you would see in Japan and, and Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a couple hundred kilometers an hour, 150 kilometers an hour. And they get to and from because there's no traffic. It's on rail. Um, very safe mode of transportation and very fast. Uh, and it leaves those individuals who may, you know, if we had the option, they could set themselves up in a plane, in a train, get work done on the way to work. And then when they're leaving, they're getting home in time for dinner and spending time with their family. And that's what people want, mm-hmm. right? It's, that's the ultimate decision. It's sort of not only space, but it's time with family. Mm-hmm. time for the things that they actually like doing. Um, so they're always compromising when they're trying to make that decision. If you take that variable seriously and say, well, we've got high-speed trains now in play. Yes, I'll decide to move outside the city. I'm able to afford um, the, the home that I want because I can move far away from the city and still get to work to and from work and not have that impact my family life right? mm-hmm. uh, and my lifestyle in general. Um, so that's sort of the decision we don't have right now because it's not available to us. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Jason, I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios. Okay. And you've already mentioned your investment strategy that you um, apply to, you know, um, just classic home buyers or investors. Um, so feel free to not answer it or answer it however you please. Sure. Um, but let's say first scenario, let's say you have an individual, um, he wants to actually invest in real estate. He hasn't bought a property before. Um, he has about maybe 30 K saved up. Okay. Um, his credit score is above 650. Um, no debt at all. What direction would you take that individual? He doesn't like, he literally does not care what investment property to choose from. Like, where would you take him? Where would you lead him to? Um, certain areas in Durham region, mm-hmm. um, and I would think a house hack would be would be a great thing. And what I mean by that is, there's a couple scenarios I would think about, um, but we're playing with an imaginary person here. One of them that I would I would suggest is um, buying a, uh, a ground oriented home, so a detached home bungalow uh, that has a separate entrance. Um, and a secondary unit, mm-hmm. or at least the potential of a, a, of a legal secondary unit, and um, purchase something like that, live in the lower level, and rent the rest of the place out. And um, that way you mitigate, or sorry, you, you kind of, you look at your holding costs of that property, and you, you kind of cut, cut it in half. Or, or maybe even eliminate it altogether because your tenants upstairs would would uh, would pay for you know that mortgage payment and insurance and um, principal and interest. So a lot of times, you know, if you look at a specific property, you drill down to the numbers. Um, we're looking at carrying costs. We're looking at potential rent, and you got to live somewhere. Mm. So if you can kind of wrap all those three things 
into one solution, that would be one of them. I mean, the numbers obviously have to work, but um, in terms of it being a real solution that can work, it's it's an option. That makes a lot of sense because so then you wouldn't even have to get a permit, technically, right? Or uh, if it's if I mean a legal secondary unit has certain criteria. Okay. You know, ceiling ceiling height is one. Uh, the type of exit um, matters. So if there's no common elements that um, get in the way between the entrance and exit of that secondary unit, mm-hmm. then just a, 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 a second entrance um, is good enough. You don't have to have an egress window or anything like that. Um, but um, the major, the major um, criteria is ceiling height. Because uh, that's an expensive fix. If you don't have that, then, then you're looking at a, a very costly uh, change. So, uh, you know, I would suggest looking at the ceiling height as, as a major um, a buying marker that needs to get checked before you make that decision. Interesting. Okay. Another scenario. You have someone who has um, maybe 10K saved up. Um, their credit score is a little bit lower, so it's at about 600. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have about $5,000 in debt. Um, so realistically, they have like $5,000 saved up, but their payments on their credit card have been up to date. Um, they have a full-time job, so they're, they show that they have some consistent income, but they're probably not the best with their money. They don't make the smartest choices, mm-hmm. but they want to dive into investing. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely think about new construction with an individual like that because they don't have to get into a mortgage and their, you know, um, their financial situation won't get scrutinized just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have enough for a down payment and, and, and sometimes that could work because of uh, the down payment structure that we put together at DreamMaker, mm-hmm. a lot of times um, is above and beyond what they would find even with platinum and VIP. Um, opportunities out there. It's something I can talk about later. But anyways, um, <clears throat> new construction would probably be a good fit for somebody like that. And then pairing them up with uh, a professional that can help them with the financial situation in terms of improving on their credit uh, situation uh, and help building the, the good habits that they need in order to um, save enough for the rest of the down payment that will come up and also build good money habits over time because you need that anyways. Mm-hmm. So I would suggest more likely than not new construction just because they don't get scrutinized. Uh, when they actually do need to have um, money set aside for uh, the mortgage, uh, by then, if it's two years, you have a good plan in place to... to you know, correct some of some of the issues that may be present, and then move towards improving on their credit score uh, and their down payments, and getting them in the right habits in the meantime. And I would pair them up with one of my um, uh, financial sort of uh, uh, literacy experts that would help them with that situation. So that's what I would suggest. Interesting stuff, man. So what's next for Jason? So right now, uh, I have a, you know, a few conventional, um, properties where I have tenants. Uh, recently, uh, now got into a few Airbnb, um, properties that I'm managing as well with, uh, with, uh, with a partner. Uh, we're looking at, um, now expanding our, our business into, uh, luxury real estate. Representing a dream uh, in in that regard, uh, a lot of things still need to be sort of ironed out in terms of aim and in terms of um, where we land uh, in that endeavor. But the focus is getting into um, you know more higher end uh, property types, uh, buying, selling, and investing. Okay. So that's the aim. Yeah. Interesting stuff. 
And if you don't mind sharing, what does your portfolio look like at this current moment in time? Are most of your properties in Toronto? Is it sort of scattered around the GTA? Condos, houses, combination? What does it look like at this moment in time? Uh, pretty much all the above. Yeah? Uh, so, I think in real estate, you have to be... Well, you're going to get two schools of thought here, I think. Some tenured investors might think, you know, you go with what you know. Uh, of course, understand what what the market is saying, and then maybe hold off on purchasing or selling or whatever the case may be with certain strategies. And then there might be other investors who will, who will say, you you know, you gotta you gotta be flexible in your approach. Have that big goal. And whatever best tool applies, apply that tool. So that might be buy and hold. It might be short-term furnished rentals. It might be flipping. It might be uh, joint ventures. I like to sort of do a few at a time. You know, I, I grew from thinking that just one strategy is the best strategy. I think having some appreciation and knowledge in a few areas so that when you need to sort of switch it up a little bit so you can mitigate risk around what the market is doing then 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 do so so yeah i've got buy and hold i've done new construction and sold on assignment i've got uh, detached where i've got more than one income coming from one property which i think is a good sound strategy as well um and then joint ventures which is another thing altogether is where you're teaming up with with um, with a developer or uh, with a um, just another business partner that has a different skill set, and you and you join forces to purchase land, develop land, and uh, and then go from there. So that's on the horizon next uh, for me to answer your last question, actually. But um, yeah, I like two things: new construction because you see a lot of appreciation. Um, and you have the option if you've set yourself up right to, to sell uh, and sort of flip or carry it and kind of hold on to it for, for a long time, which is a buy and hold with, with condos. But I also like resale purchasing homes with the possibly more than one income coming from that particular property. Mm-hmm. So you mitigate your risk that way. Yeah, so those are the two strategies. Interesting stuff. As a business owner, the more you can leverage your time, the better it is for your company. There is this amazing online resource called Fiverr, where you can hire someone for just $5 to do just about any task for you. Whether it be logo design, market research, videography, or website building, Fiverr has it all. Please go to imkobe.com forward slash resources and click on the Fiverr icon to make an account. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Welcome to the Purpose Round, where we ask our entrepreneurs the right questions that really bring out the purpose behind their business and their entrepreneurial journey. Jason, what is your purpose as an entrepreneur? Well, it's a few things. I think uh, I'm on a personal growth kind of journey. I've learned a lot over over the years. And um, what gives me purpose is sharing what I think has served me in my life. Who's, you know, where it's taken me out of some sort of dark areas in my life, uh, whether it's. personal and or financial. Uh, so doing what I'm doing, I can share best practices around uh, real estate that can have a real impact to an individual or a family. Um, you know, there's not too many decisions in life that we have to make where it could be detrimental to our future. Real estate is one of them. Uh, whether you're buying to live or where you're buying to to invest, both have a lot of weight on what your future may look like, good or bad. So I've made some mistakes, and I've learned from those mistakes. I learned from other people's mistakes, and I'm 
I'm well read in that area. So I bring that to the table and I want to share that with anybody who's willing to listen uh, because it can have such a impact on, on your life and your children's lives. So that's, that's sort of what is my purpose, I think, as an entrepreneur. What is an everyday habit that adds value to your purpose? Um, well, <clears throat> one of them for sure, which is not business related, but is having a very good morning routine. Um, for the most part, I like to wake up very early in the morning. Uh, I have a meditation practice. I have a, a cold exposure practice that I, I, I've been, um, that's been a part of my life for the last two years. Uh, keeping healthy, uh, physically, um, all those things, uh, I think make me a better human being, make me more prepared for the day. Um, and that way I bring my best self to the table for my business and for my family. So I think, uh, if it was just one thing, a great morning routine helps out a lot. If you could have a conversation with one person living or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, gee. I'm sure there's many, but anyone that comes to mind first? There's, there's, yeah, it depends on so many different things, but, um, might be Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that's an interesting human being to pick, but it might even, if it was somebody living, some of the people that intrigue me right now, are the ones who've demonstrated a lot of uh, fortitude, uh, being in the face of adversity and not quitting. Uh, there's so many examples of that. You know, we get exposed, which is a great thing. I think one of the great things about the internet uh, and social media, if you can use it to find these people and live from their examples, because there's a lot of examples out there. Uh, so that could be Elon Musk would be one individual I'd love to ask a lot of different questions to I think he'd be one one individual I'd pick but there's a long list there's a long list for me too man don't worry about it what is your main strategy for organizing your day which I think you kind of already answered Mm -hmm. Uh, well my my, not to plug it um, but since you asked the question, mm-hmm. my wife has a, a planner that she creates it's called the Success Planner. Nice. And although she's my wife, yeah, it took me almost four years to start using uh, the planner that she's created. Okay. And it's had many. It's had about three or four evolutions since uh, its its first launch. But for me, get to get into the practice of using it, along with my morning practice, has been. Uh, you know, pivotal. Um, I know there's a lot of science to writing your goals down and I'm finding, uh, that to be true in my own experience. Uh, writing quarterly goals down, annual goals down, um, things like how I want to organize my day, right? Should plug into what that quarterly goal is in some shape or form, otherwise it's a wasted day. So having those quarterly goals, those annual goals, uh, reminding myself of those things so that when I'm prioritizing my day, I know which ones are going to have the highest impact uh, or get me closer to those goals because I've had it all in one place in my success plan. Okay. What was your worst entrepreneurial moment and what did you learn from it? My worst? Yeah. Oh, there's been a few. <laughs> um, you know, when I owned my Extreme PETA franchise, I think I was too focused in on the possible income I can make rather than, is this something that I'm passionate about? I really didn't have much passion for being a you know, extreme PETA owner. That wasn't what I was, you know, what was sort of the motive in investing in in that. And I had nothing for the food industry at all. I was just thinking about 
the ROI, the same about the money. And it backfired on me. You know, as soon as I um, got into the business, I quickly found out it wasn't something I wanted to continue, at least um, the operational piece. I saw more, and, and that was the other thing, I really didn't have a real appreciation for what it took to, to own a restaurant. And I didn't consider that in my decision making, the time input, uh, the managing of, of, of staff. I didn't really take a lot of that into real consideration. I was just thinking about the dollars. I think if you're going to make a good sound decision, you have to be aligned to your why, your purpose, uh, your skill set, what, what resonates with you. Um, and then understanding what those risks are. Doesn't mean that you let risk rule your world, but you know, if I'm going to use a sports analogy here, if you're going to win that game, you got to know your competition. In business, that could be not just a real competition in terms of who else is offering up the same product or service, but it could be all the risks that any business, you know, uh, is tied up into. You know, there's a lot of different risks out there. Knowing them is a good thing, just so that you can appreciate what could happen and think proactively about particular uh, solutions. Mm -hmm. Uh, and building your network around that so that when something happens, you're not sort of at ends and, and, and um, you know, in a panic to find a solution. You already sort of thought it out. Um, you have the right connects that can help you. And you're going to move to a solution quickly because, you know, you already got some of the pieces in place. Which app or online tool do you use every day to help contribute to your success? Uh, I have a meditation app. <laughs> it's in your head. I know that's not. Um, no, nah, it's know. a good answer, man. That's meditation app. I oh. think if you're a, if there's anything you could do to become a better human being, you're going to become a better entrepreneur. You're going to become a better father or mother. You're going to become a better brother or sister. You're going to become a better friend. Uh, it sounds selfish, maybe on, on on the surface, but it's not. Building your, um, you know, building your knowledge base, uh, investing in yourself um, will only help you to serve. Um, it will only help you towards your ambitions. So I think the meditation app is one. Uh, a more practical one is uh, I use Mint, which is something that... Um, uh, a, a friend of mine who's in the financial space, who's brilliant, um, uh, kind of uh, suggested for me to manage my my cash flow and my budgets and help me align to my goals in a real way. Um, that's been very helpful as well. And what's the name of the meditation app that you use? Uh, it's called Waking Up it's by Sam Harris. Okay. Mm. Did, did he write a book? He's written a few books. Uh, I think Waking Up is one of them. Uh, and I can't remember what, what his other book is. I mean, he's known for other things. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, he, if anybody who's on this name is familiar with Sam Harris. He's a, a neuroscientist, but he's sort of um, not known for his in-depth practice of meditation, which he's, he's done for 25 years. And I think with that, you know, meditation apps are all sort of a little, a little bit different. Uh, the ones that resonate with me help me guide me through the meditation practice. Um, and he does a great job of that. So that's why I decided on that one. Okay. If you could build a business from the ground up with only a hundred dollars, how would you leverage that? Whoa. It might be buying a good damn book. <laughs> that's going to help me with my app. Um, because at the end of the day, a hundred bucks is not going to buy you much. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not going to be, you know, that may be where you start, but it's not going to where it's not going to be where you land. I mean, so I think investing that in <clears throat> knowledge is probably your best bet. 
building out your network doesn't really cost you much, right? So maybe part of that money can go towards, uh, you know, uh, having paying for lunch with uh, with a, a good mentor that will take you on that journey that will meet with you. I think what <clears throat> when it comes to mentorship and being a real good mentee, a lot of people don't know how to do. You have to give to get. So um, if you have a good mentor and they're giving you time, you got to be ready to give. And that doesn't mean just lunch, but it means your time as well. And find seeking out ways to help. And that doesn't cost you. It won't really cost you any money. So those would probably be the two things I would do with that $100. Okay. Take a good mentor for lunch. Find out how you can help them. And in turn, they will help you. And then, uh, and then find out what are the best books that will help you towards that business from that mentor and uh, whatever other book that would resonate with you and then and start with that. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received? One of the things, I don't know who's, uh, you know, I think my father perhaps, you know, in his broken English would say, you got to do what you say. And that served me quite a bit in my life. You know, I'm not the smartest person in the world. Um, <clears throat> and I don't have all the money in the world, but I definitely think I'm a person of integrity. And that's always uh, served me really well in the relationships that I have. Uh, so I think that's the best advice I've ever gotten, is integrity is... Is and is is so important just in life in general, but uh, you got to be a person that is willing to. Uh, if you're going to say yes, if you're going to promise somebody you're going to do something, that you do it. Um, yeah. List your top three most influential books. Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's going to be one. Um, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, for sure. Um, there's been so many really good books. I'm trying to think of Unbeatable Mind by uh, Mark Devine. He was a, he was a former uh, Navy SEAL commander, and he talks about that, but also a very successful business owner. And he owns about three or four businesses that are successful. Um, and he's got a book that talks about, again, things like integrity, but also, um, you know, aligning to your purpose. Uh, that's all important as well. So I think that's a great book. I put that up there now. Yeah. All right. Tell us something that you think is true about business that most people don't agree with you on. That most people don't agree with me on. I can sort of speak on real estate more than anything because, you know, I'm actually doing it. And it might be what I just said earlier is that I think it's okay to have a few strategies to lean on. Um, and I'm not sure that everybody agrees with that. I think that you're going to find some very successful. Uh, real estate investors and entrepreneurs that would say, no, you focus in on one thing and you know it better than anybody. You know, it's sort of that, um, you know, stay in your lane, uh, focus on a niche type of approach. When I'm not 100% sold on that, I think you can have a few strategies um, and expertise and um, sort of investments and businesses that you can can do very well on and stay focused on. Okay. Is there any last piece of value you can leave with our listeners? Yeah, well, I think that there's a lot of noise out there. Um, I think now, more than ever, we get sort of distracted. It seems like there's a lot of or there's a lot of bright, shiny objects out there. And if anything, if, if they're telling you it's easy, <laughs> it, 
if they're telling you you can make a lot of money tomorrow or soon, if they're making it sound damn easy, then it's probably not true. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not saying that doesn't exist flat out, but anything that is worth your time and effort probably isn't easy because everybody else would be doing it. Um, A real sound uh, piece of advice I'd give is be prepared, man. Things, Things can get difficult. Align, align to your why. Align to the things that matter to you most. Why are you doing this? And it can't be, for me at least, and I think for most people, it can't be uh, a material thing. It has to be bigger than that, you know, um, because that will die soon. I, I think I, that actually my first business endeavor um, educated me on that. Because, like I was saying earlier, um, I was so focused in on what that business can make me in terms of money that I that I didn't really care if it aligned to my purpose or what I was passionate about. And I quickly found out that the things that I was passionate about was spending time with family, contributing to causes that were um, bigger than me. And uh, if you can align yourself to those things and pick an endeavor that will help you in that. And that's the best, the best path forward. Powerful stuff, man. And how can the Purposeful Story family reach out to you and follow you on your entrepreneurial journey? So I play on a couple social media platforms. One is Instagram. And uh, I'd say the other one that I'm, the other two actually that I'm uh, active on is Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, so it's, you know, look my name up. There's not too many of me out there. Uh, Jason Receiver Real Estate, and then I should pop up on, on those three platforms. Okay. I appreciate you coming on the show today, Jason. No, it was great. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. And thank you, Purposeful Story family, for listening to the Purposeful Story podcast. And remember, live every day with purpose so all your actions are clear. Talk soon. That's all for this episode. I hope listening to this podcast left you with valuable information that either strengthened your purpose or helped bring you closer to finding your purpose. We all have a different journey in life, and this podcast is in support of everyone's purposeful journey. Thank you so much for tuning in, because without you, there is no Purposeful Story podcast. Please feel free to email me at info at iamkobe.com and let me know what you thought of this episode. To help spread the valuable information this podcast has to offer, All I ask is for you to subscribe to the podcast via the Apple Podcast app, Podcast Addict, Google Play Music, or CastBox, give a rating, and pass this podcast on to one friend that you feel could benefit from this information. Don't forget to follow I Am Kobe Talks on Instagram for updates on new episodes and go to IamKobe.com forward slash purposeful story for more valuable content. Special thanks to DJ Anna for the beats and Lala Writes for the editing. Before you go, please remember that purpose drives your actions and your actions are a result of your purpose. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.